This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Baruchim Abayim to the uh, amazing, first of its kind, Chesidish couple Shabbatayim. Unheard of. Never happened before. Such an experience. It's really something amazing and uh, really exciting. It's particularly exciting for me for so many reasons. like to share with you just informally just at the beginning before we get involved in our subject of this hour uh, my particular hey, I'm the only guy in a hat my particular joyous feeling I'm having right now I'm having a tremendous feeling of nachas nachas right now normally my nachas is whoa <laughs> normally my nachas is from my own kids but uh, and they say your Talmudim are, your, are like kids you know I like kids. But to see Talmidim of, of, uh, of mine from New York that have uh, experienced the Possible Youth Seminar that I've been running now in, in Brooklyn for, we're going into our fifth year. This is something I started in Eretz Yisrael uh, uh, 14, 13 years ago. Maybe 14 years ago. But to see that we're all at a Shabbaton that's, uh, that's a unique in its kind, dedicated to our own personal work as, as parents, as machan just in our, for ourselves, to see that the, the, the Askanim that put this together they're all, what they all have in common is they have all done this work. And they do other jobs and stuff. And they, they, uh, they, one of the big things I'm training people in the work is to play big in life. And I'm always talking about playing big. Playing big. You know what it means to play big? Anyone know the term play big? Playing big means pushing beyond your fears on things you know you could be doing. You know you could stretch to that type of capacity. And what happens is we're always afraid. What do they say? What do people think? I don't want to be the guy who's doing it. You know, let someone else do it. You know what I mean? We play small. This Shabbaton is being presented by, by people who are playing big. And when I met them, they were not playing big. And they're playing big. And I, I had nothing to do with it. They, I'm really invited. They, they just invited me to, to the Shabbaton to speak. I mean, they gave me a lot of speaking slots. In fact, I don't think I ever had a Shabbaton with so many speaking slots. In fact, when I lead whole Shabbatons, I'm the only rabbi I don't have this many speaking slots. And here I'm sharing the, the, the Shabbaton with so many great names. And it's, nevertheless, I think I have eight slots, if I recall. Something like that, like eight slots. Somewhere I have a piece of paper that tells me where and when I'm supposed to be somewhere. Uh, let's see, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight speaking slots. Um, I will be doing this as a bit of a journey. Um, I imagine you want to hear other speakers as well, but I'll keep an eye if it's like the same kind of people each time that maybe I'll take you on this journey. I'd set it up, the, the schedule would work on a whole journey you'd go through with me. But I also set up that each hour would be its own unit as well. So for, for people who will just be checking in an hour here and checking out and then checking in and checking out. They'll be sure to have a, an amazing time. 
I'm personally uh, not so into personal growth on Shabbos. Never run my seminar on Shabbos, ever, as much as people beg me. You know, they're like, people could take off a Friday. <coughs> Sunday's already off. And then you run it throughout Shabbos. But real, I believe real growth work means you're going to get involved in stuff that could bring up feelings that it's not part of Shabbos Kodesh. It's not part of Shabbos Kodesh. Shabbos is enough. We don't need anything extra. For Shabbos is Shabbos. So I've never done it. Um, but I realize, on the other hand, that this is an opportunity for all of us to, in, at least on an introductory level, to get involved in, the, in, in deeper work, even if it's Shabbos. So I'm kind of going against my own instincts a little bit to be doing this, but I'm going to watch that. I'm very good at watching a crowd. You know, you can put hundreds of people in a room. I'll, the guy in the 30th row, seat, you know, 38 in that row, he'll come up to me afterwards and said, why did you start telling that story all of a sudden? How did you know that was exactly... I'm just watching your face. I was on your face. I lost you. And I knew I'd get you back with that story. So I'm going to be watching the faces throughout Shabbos to see if people are like, oh man, this is too heavy for Shabbos. At which point I will immediately switch gears and go to a lighter level of, um, of discussion. But certainly I don't intend to make anyone cry on Shabbos. The seminar itself is sponsored by Kleenex Tissue. There's no lack of tears shed during the seminar itself. Um, lastly, I just want to say shalom from uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, whose uh, name is, is uh, coursing through my veins right now. It, it tends to stay in your head for uh, a couple days after, after Miron all the hours and hours of hours of dancing to Rabbi Shimon and it's it's just was so beautiful this year um, I don't think there was such a year for the last 10 years as there was this year only for the fact that it was so well organized that you could dance absolutely anywhere and, and you know how it gets in the chatzah you so badly want to dance in the chatzah and it's the only place with a real band with a real drummer and a real bass player and a real you know a guy in accordion when you get the the last time you had an accordion at a simple, you know, accordion and a violin player and a guitarist and three clarinets and a saxophone player. And, it's, and everyone's in the chatz of Rebbe Shimon to, da- to dance, but you can't move. So you just kind of get knocked around for however long you can take it, and then you go out for, for, uh, <coughs> to Atzala. The, uh, this year, you could just dance. Uh, it was, you could dance the entire time. And if anyone wants to see some nice video, I... Sh- Am I being? Am I competing with an air conditioner? Maybe. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even hear that. Yeah, we should have a microphone. We should really have a microphone for Shabbos when I'm going to be, uh, you know, without a choice. Is the AC effective? Are you guys feeling cool in here? It's comfortable. Oh, great. Let's shut it off. <laughs> If it gets uncomfortable, someone just wave. We'll put it back on. But it's a shame for me to speak over it if everyone's comfortable because it's, it's really, I, w- I would have to really raise my voice to speak over it. It might take a second to shut down. It's off? Okay, I apologize. And there's a whole front row here and a couple seats up, up closer for those who uh, can't hear us well. Today uh, we're discussing, uh, this hour, we're discussing relationship understanding Myself, my kids, my spouse. 
uh, that's a giant topic to be understanding our, ourselves, understanding our spouse, understanding our kids. So let's just cut to the chase. We'll never understand our spouse. We'll never understand our spouse. That was a joke. Um, Understanding ourselves is the key to understanding everyone. Because in general, we experience all things based on our lens of perception. Every single person in this room is hearing me speak right now, and everything I'm saying is going through a filter of everything you've ever experienced in your life. It's just the way it is. Even the English I'm speaking is only because you know English. It's filtering through every time you've heard English. The fact that you walked to this room, all that walking was based on the history of your walking till now. That's the way life is. We're all a product of our experience of life till now. And we filter every, everything through our experience of life. And so the best key you can ever have to understanding others is first to understand yourself. Why? What's, what good, why understanding myself is going to help me understand someone else? And the answer is that I have to get my listening out of what the other is saying to really hear them. I have to hear my own listening to really understand what someone else is saying. If I can get my own listening out of the way, so then the likelihood of me understanding another is going to go up, up, up. There's other levels of not only understanding yourself, being at peace with yourself certainly will, will, will raise your ability to understand others. And then there's also understanding people's body language. You know, a woman just came up to me the other day. She was, uh, it was after a shear in Yerushalayim. What did she say to me? Whatever, she was talking about something about her son and how her, the, his father had passed away a year ago, but she said it giggling. So I said, uh, so you, how long were you divorced? And figuring, you know, someone would have to be, someone would have to be uh, divorced to giggle about the passing of their husband that same year. Turns out it was just nervous laughter. Her husband, it was her husband, they were never divorced. It was nervous laughter, but you could see that her body and her words were totally disconnected. Whereas most people's body and words are totally connected. And that is giving you all kinds of hints at greater understanding because people's body movements, people's facial expressions, and people's emotional expressions through the face are telling you volumes of information, even more than what they say. But when you see they're not connecting, when you see someone saying one thing but disconnecting, like you ask them, you know, how was Shabbos? And they say, it was amazing. It was just, it was just a great Shabbos. You know? It was very nice. You know, it wasn't the best job as ever, because the body's telling you already. They're shaking their head while they're saying it. So it's questionable right there. Anyway, but that's, that's a great key to understanding. Just seeing the order they put spouse, kids, self. Before Hashem created the world, He existed in absolute 
Oh, by the way, let's get the AC back on since that had nothing to do with uh, us, that loud noise. So we can just put it back on and might as well, might as well enjoy AC if we're going to have the noise. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> Before Hashem created the world, He existed in absolute oneness. Hashem existed in absolute oneness. There was nothing else but Hashem. Undifferentiated oneness. Hashem decided, for whatever reasons, maybe we'll never understand, but Hashem decided, for whatever reason, to create other than that oneness. Now, we understand, of course, Kabbalistically, that there's really only Hashem, but, you know, we're also here. And there's something called Stanford, and there's a hotel, and there's individuals inside this room right now. But really, when Hashem created the world, there was absolutely oneness. God existed in undifferentiated oneness, and then created the world, which created the possibility for otherness. Hashem implanted inside all of us a great desire for this oneness. Everyone inside this room and everyone outside this room spent his first nine months minus 40 days totally conscious in the undifferentiated oneness of his or her mother's womb. You spent the beginning of your life in undifferentiated oneness as a conscious individual. But you had no concept of being an individual because you were, in, you were part of other. You were part of someone else. The day came where you were born. And you were born separate from that oneness. And ever since you were separated from that oneness, if you tracked your life, if you actually track your life, you'll see that everything you've done since then is only to get back to that oneness. You can literally track your life. That every single thing that you do, everything that informs your life and your activity, it is all to get back to that oneness. And we have several seats in the front here. You'll hear a lot better over the... I can take a break for a moment. But you'll hear a lot better over there, air conditioner. And then I can get this chia seed out of my tooth here. <laughs> my wife makes these, like, health food balls. We call them power balls. And uh, so I, I came with a whole container of them for... But they got chia seed. Chia seed kind of... They get stuck in your teeth and then they expand. <laughs> you feel like you're at a dental appointment. Uh, come on, slides. Come on, all the way, all the way. Yeah, hit the mechitza, all the way. Kick on, kick on. Anyone else who wants to move up? Now's your big chance. You'll hear it better. So happy for this interruption. Oh my gosh, I'll never do that again. You know, in the seminar, it's not a big deal, but <laughs> this is kind of a public speaking moment here. 
not the time that has it. reminds me when I was speaking, I was speaking above a Borough Park, and it was the girls' school, and I mean, maybe I was hallucinating or something, but it looked like there were 10,000 girls in the room, and, and the scary part was they didn't move the entire time. So every once in a while, I just figured this must be like some Hollywood set or something, like how it was just so perfectly orchestrated and no one ever moved the entire time. But they didn't bring me water. And, you know, I just finally, like, couldn't go on. So I said, do you mind bringing me some water? So they scrambled away to go get some water. The only thing they could bring back was a fresh bottle of seltzer with a large amount of gas inside. So I drank, I was just thirsty. I drank my whole first sip. And let's just say I learned that you don't drink seltzer when you're public speaking either. (laughs) But even what happened didn't make a move, not even a muscle. Every move you've made since then has only been to get to the oneness. Now, did it work out? Are we all feeling like, you know, like we're inside some like amazing womb of oneness in our lives? Because that's all we've been seeking. And the answer is, how did it work out, guys? Ladies, how did it work out? Mm, so, so. Uh, sometimes not so, so, so. But sometimes so, so. Not so good for most people. It's very rare you'll meet an adult who will tell you that they have a totally fulfilling relationship to this world between themselves and their desire for oneness, which is otherwise known as hiskashis, which is the key to all of creation. God created it for this point alone. God created the world for it. God created you to want nothing but it. And it is rare I'll ever meet an adult who actually has it. And sadly, being firm doesn't necessarily guarantee it. And even sadder, being chassidish doesn't actually necessarily give you a, a, a ticket for it either. When in fact, the whole movement of Hasidus was for it. I mean, that's what the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid, and, and that, that's what they were trying to reinfuse back into Yiddishkeit after Shabtai Tzvi. It was reinfused the Hiskashus, the point, the Tachlis. Not just our Tachlis, the Tachlis of every person born on this earth. Every person, it's not just us, every person. The lady who took my money at the George Washington Bridge, she didn't have to say, have a nice day. I was not planning to hear her, have a nice day. In fact, I felt very bad that I'd hit the gas. As she was saying, every person, there's nothing random. Everyone has it. It is oxygen for the human soul. Animals, and doves are famous for having one, you know, mate their whole lives. The, the, the bird, the dove. It's one of the, but it's famous for it because animals don't really have it. It's humans that have it. 
It's humans that live for it. But almost every human you'll meet, they are disappointed. Almost every human being you'll meet, they're disappointed because they didn't get enough of it. So many people in this world, they're believing, they're praying, they're, they were hoping that getting married would give it. And they wouldn't even admit that's what it was all about, but every girl who dreams of her wedding day and every boy who dreams of their wedding day is dreaming for that, for oneness, for achtes, for iskashus. It's for Hashem, but Hashem gave us all kinds of ways to access it. And one of the most important is our spouses. Our children, our friends, our kihila, and then the greater Am Yisrael, and then the world at large, as we are a mamleches kayani, or lagoyim. But how many people spend their lives in disappointment, and what comes after disappointment? Resentment. Resentment. What comes with resentment? Blame. Remember I said before that every single thing you do is informed by your insatiable desire for oneness? So I was including all the resentment and all the blame and all the frustration. Think about it. Every amount of blame and frustration you have in your life over not having achieved that oneness with another and this could be, I mean, we're all thinking spouse right now, I know. But it could be a boss. It could be anyone. It could be literally anyone. It could be your own kids. It could be a sibling. It could be your parents. But even that resentment and even that blame is really being fueled by an inner desire that it should be different. Life isn't supposed to be like this. I have been given an incredible desire for connection. And yet, I find myself very far from it most of the time. And it is almost like uh, my antennas for it have been dulled. I, 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 it's hard to sense it already. So much so that it's hard to know I'm missing it. I've gotten used to it. I survive without it. I can't help but segue a little bit into the word survive for a moment. As I am speaking to a community and I'm part of that community of people who survived the war. My, uh, my Zaidi ran away from the Russian army right before the war, but he, uh, all my uncles, aunts, everyone I didn't, never got to meet. My Alta Zaidi. They were very, very hush of mention in my marsh. Uh,
surviving the war was almost impossible physically and sadly almost completely and totally impossible emotionally. To make it through that experience with your antennas still in place for the amazing vibrational hiskashers that Hashem imbued into creation, into marriage, into family, into Avodah Hashem, into the world of nature, music. It was very hard to get through that war with your antennas intact. And almost no one's work. And so the only thing we had left was at least we're going to do the mitzvahs. At least we're going to be yidden. And worlds of Yiddishkeit were built. But now we are some 70 years later. And this Shabbaton is going to be 500 Yidin who know deep down that their antennas are there. And that it is just a matter of repair. And 70 years is transgenerational period of healing it's a transgenerational 70 years a couple days it's transgenerational period of healing but we live in a generation that's bumping it up now we're bumping it up and perhaps the reason we're bumping it up now is because we have to because we don't have the answers to keep our kids in Oh yeah, make sure your phones are off, everybody. Just give a quick check. Make sure your phones are off. Quick phone check. Come on, do it, do it, do it. You guys have been amazing. This is the first time I ever get to have a talk where I don't see, like, little glowing on people's face. To a New York crowd. Must be Friday. What was my last point? Anyone remembers the last thing I said? Huh? Oh my gosh. Whoa. I remember years ago, I remember years ago, my rabbit was, we were at, we were at a shir, he was giving over chassidus, and someone came and he was asking a mate about a kid who fried out, and the rabbit said, was there love in their house? And the guy said, yeah, it's a, actually a very loving house. And, and the Rebbe said, he'll be back. He'll be back. Perhaps it's speeding up now that people are like, instead of just kind of letting the generations create our antennas for his gestures for connection, perhaps we're bumping it up now is because we realize that we are in a competition now with the world at large 
that all of our insulation that's supposed to keep our, our, our machine warm with Yiddishkeit, just, you can't do it anyway. I don't know if it's the technology, I don't know if it's the energy on the streets, I don't know if it's in the water we're drinking. But the kids know what's going on out there. Kids know way more than we realize they know. Now, there's different ways to deal with that, and this is not at all a class or Shabbaton based on kids at risk. But I'll tell you that when you're in touch with yourself and you get your antennas repaired and healed for the purpose of creation, the Tachlis Abriya, his kashus with Hashem. But he created all kinds of different vibrational energies like marriage and children. There's music, there's sunset, there's flowers, there's all kinds of others too, but different ways to connect. That if we have our own ability to connect, to relate. This class is called relationships. If we have our own ability to have that relationship, our children are going to be right with us. They'll be with us. Because they want to know much more about that than anything else. They want to know they're loved. And even with those three words, I love you. Now, of course, there's many ways to show love. There are gifts. There is, which includes taking them shopping. There are gifts. There are, there is touch. There are words. I love you. There are, there is doing for somebody, like serving them, making them a meal, or helping them out, or making a call for somebody. You only do that for someone you love. And there is quality time. Giving someone quality time. There are plenty of ways to give love. But one way that is... Yes, sir. Amazing. Wow. Just starting to get my rhythm. <laughs> Whoa. You serious? I mean, after this class, everyone could just go home. <laughs> I'm giving you guys the goods. <laughs> Some of you think, wow, if this is the way it's starting two, three hours before Shabbos, can't imagine what it's going to get like later. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I'm a little jet lag, I just need help with the last point. Five, yeah, the five languages of love I did, but oh, is that the kid needs to hear I love you, and especially if that's their language of love. There are certain people their language of love is words. Others touch, others gifts, others quality time. And others, it's service. Do something for somebody. <laughs> In the, I, I, I have to tell you, I'm never, ever making fun of you guys. I promise you throughout the whole show, I'm never making fun of you, but I am laughing with you sometimes. Because I grew up in California. 
where things are very external, and there's a lot of I love you. You really don't know what they mean by that. You know, someone tells you I love you, like, uh oh, you know, now what? <laughs> but it's the exact opposite when you come to Brooklyn or Muncie or wherever. They, I, I, you're just not going to hear it, but they'll do for you. We live in a culture where doing for somebody is I love you. Uh oh, this class is getting out of control. <laughs> We're expanding the classroom, I think. Are you just expanding it? Yes. Okay, you might need uh, uh, some personnel to do that. That looks a little too high-tech for... Yeah. <laughs> I'm really jet-lagged. Um, doing for people. Doing for, I, uh, can you imagine, one of the biggest fears for public speakers, by the way, is forgetting what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't happen to have that fear. You know why? I was once speaking, I don't know how many people were in this show, a giant show, hundreds of people in, in Denver, Colorado. And once again, I'm up on stage, and I'm so scared I'm going to forget what I'm talking about, which is like, it plagues public speakers. I mean, I don't have any notes. This is my schedule. Okay. The... Plagues public speakers. And anyway, but here I was, 500 people. I have no idea what my topic is halfway through the talk. So I'm sitting there like this. And I'm a public speaker, so I'm trained never to say things like, so, you know, so, so. So I have no idea what I'm talking about. I, I, I didn't do that. I'm just saying. So they think I'm about to say something like the most powerful line of the whole talk. They have no idea. I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I decided I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to ask them. So I asked a room, 500 people. I said, can someone please just remind me what I'm talking about? Silence. <laughs> Not one person in that room knew what I was talking about. And ever since then, I've, that was it. I haven't worried about it. And, you know, I can always ask. You know, it's like forgetting someone's name, you know. Just, What's your name? You know, just ask. Anyway, so, uh, so I don't worry about it too much, forgetting what I'm talking about. There was a, a girl from uh, Muncie who was uh, no longer in skirts, let's say. She had uh, left the fold. And... Uh, I got a phone call from her parents when I was doing the seminar in Brooklyn. If they don't mind that they come in during one of my breaks, if they can speak to me. So they come in, and they're sitting with me. Now, I spoke to the girl on the phone in Yerushalayim, and, and her whole thing was no one had ever said I love you to her. She was a words person. Her language of love was words. And no one had ever said it to her. So I'm sitting with a couple, and there they are. And the mo- It's usual. The mommy's talking a lot, and the man's just kind of sitting there. And... Uh, and it's the opposite in Eretz Israel, by the way. So um, anyway, so I'm listening to the mommy go on and on. I finally say to her, do you, to the mommy, do you ever tell her I love you? And she says, of course. Last trip, I took her shopping. I took care of all of her needs. I drove her to and from her friends' houses. Do you ever tell her I love you? 
He says, of course. I took care of her food issues. I took care of her laundry the entire time. In fact, I flew her in from Eretz Israel. Do you ever tell her I love you? At which point the husband finally said something. He says, Rabbi, we don't say those words. <laughs> Listen, I, I know where you're coming from because I married an East Coaster, Hungarian East Coaster. I'm from California. My language of love is words. If you tell me you enjoyed my class, you made my day. I'm a sucker for words. I love words, and I love gifts, too. <laughs> the only problem is when my wife buys me a gift, it's with my money. So I told her, you know what, spare me the gifts. Just say I love you. Anyway, in my wife's family's culture, you do for somebody, and you have quality time with them. Now, I've got my cell phone ringing with, like, buzzing, buzzing. We, I take her out for dinner, but I bzz, 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 bzz. And some of these calls are like, there can be emergencies. I've got kids all over the planet. I, my main work in my life has been Kirov. This is, my, um, this is what I've been developing the last decade and a half, but it's been in Kirov. So I have people, like, on the edge of buildings. So I can't not look at the buzz. And I've literally had to interrupt meals with my wife to talk someone off the edge of a building. Yeah. And so, so, you know, I take a look. And regarding service, like doing for people, I hate to make a little confession, but the only thing I know how to make is toast. I can make toast. Also, oh, one more thing, I can flip matzo bright. Not everyone can flip matzo bright. I can flip matzo bright. I'm not good at doing dishes. I, 20 years married, I never did a single load of laundry. Change a few diapers, because my rabbi said I should. He was right. She never asked me again. <laughs> but boy, did I tell her I love you. And I, my other's gifts. And boy, did I buy her a lot of things. Flowers before Shabbos. Jewelry. You name it, I bought it. Because we make the mistake of giving the love that we want to receive. You can't help it. You just think, we, that's what I'm saying. When we, when we only live, remember my very first line tonight was, today was when we, when we haven't figured ourselves out we wind up filtering everyone else based on us. So for 17 years of marriage, I gave my wife gifts and I told her I loved her. And you know, every time I told her I love you, you know what she was thinking with two sinks filled with dishes? <laughs> Talk is cheap. And then every time I brought home a necklace or something for her or a ring or anything, she would look at me and say, what is this, a bribe? I was wasting my words, and I was wasting my money. Nowadays, I've learned. So when we're in the kitchen together, Erev Shabbos, I wait till she's looking. I'm holding a knife and a cucumber. I wouldn't even know what to do with either. But as soon as she's looking, 
And she's like, I'm loved. I'm loved. He loves me. When I finished chilling, anything between me and my bed is going to get taken out. (laughs) But as of three years ago, I've learned how to bust my plate, a couple other plates, get the bottles off the table. And sometimes if I have a little last bit of cough before I pass out, I'll even take, in Israel we use plastic, I don't know if you guys do this, but I'll even do the full, you know, plastic gathering and plop it in the garbage, and I'm love. Sorry. And she's loved. I'm doing what she wants. I've learned to get my cell phone out of the way, except for emergencies, but I, I forward my calls to someone. Giving love the way she wants it. And ever since then, she says, I love you to me. I don't believe it so much, but I, I mean, uh, 17 years, a lot of damage, you know, like just waiting for those words, you know. But I, I'm starting to like thaw out, I guess. I guess I'm thawing out a little bit, you know, to receive it. created for his kashas. Hashem created us to want it, to seek it. And even when we're not getting it, we're also going for it. So I'm going to give you another level of it. When our desire for oneness, for his kashas, isn't met, you tell me, does our need for his kashas, because we say to ourselves, Whenever we don't get something, we always say we don't need it. And this is very dangerous. You know, if you're not getting something, you say you don't need it. It's just another way to survive. I don't need it. When it comes to love, his kashus, oneness, relationship, these are all it's the same word, ahava. When it comes to that, you can't ever say that you don't need it. As I said before, it is our oxygen. It is the stuff the actual creation was made of. What's the midah of chesed in emotions? It's love. It's ahava. Gavur is yira. Chesed is ava. Oilam chesed yibane means the binion of creation is chesed. It's ava. It's not something you can do without. It's just, we need to have it. It's like water. Can't live without it. Although I've noticed a lot of, a lot of people with the Haredish Oilam, with black attitude, they don't drink a lot of water, I noticed. Which I was really happy about because I knew all the, I, I might be able to get another water in first class. When I was walking out of the plane, I had memorized where all the people who were, the Chassidish mentioned, where they were laying on their business class beds after Lag I somehow I knew I'd get a full bottle of water by any of those beds. And there was still a full bottle of water. How dehydrated can you possibly become? You know, especially after Lagwaim and now an airplane ride. You know, it dehydrates you in the air. Anyway, but lo and behold, almost by every spot where there was a Hamish Yid there, there was a full bottle of water, undrunk. 
and you forget your shalmis, they never drink water. Water is not a drink. The one make a brach on it, the one make a brach after. It's not even a drink. They, they wouldn't even drink it. At best, they'll drink seltzer. Okay. When we feel disappointed that we're not getting the ahava, we're not getting these kashas, you ready for this? I hate to go so intense this quick in this weekend. We go for an alternative, a counterfeit. The false geld. I don't know much Yiddish, but that. The false geld of ahava. Of love. We say to ourselves we don't need it, but then we just go like shooting like a race car for the false guilt of it. There's an alternative to true Ava, to true Iskashus. There's an alternative, and you'll notice that anyone who doesn't go for the real thing, which is almost everyone I've ever met, they go for something else instead. It looks like love when you're getting it. It, when you see someone gets a lot of it, you're like, oh, everyone loves him. If we're good at getting it, we're happy about it. If we're bad at getting it, we're sad. So I'm leaving it up to you guys. And no one who's graduated my seminar is allowed to answer this question. What is the counterfeit of love? Okay, covered, good. Money, <laughs> good. Sports cars. Um, Oh, yeah, someone got it. Very nice. He got it. Everyone got it, but he got the core of it. The core of it. The same thing. Attention. Everyone think about the word attention for a minute. If you're getting a lot of attention, it feels just, I mean, it's not love at all, but it feels like it. When you're being recognized, you feel it. That feeling that you're significant is just like love. But it's not love. It's not relationship. It's not as cautious. We're inside a country where people die every week of famous people. I remember this Froom girl, she told me she wanted to become a rock star when she grows up. Teenager. She was not doing so hot. So she decided she was going to become a rock star. I had a miracle. In a matter of 20 minutes, she was right back in her base, Yaakov. 20 minutes. I think it was my all-time record. Hashem sent me an amazing idea. I said, do you have a smartphone? She says, yeah. She pulls out her smartphone. I said, uh, look up, uh, I, I don't even remember what it was. It was something like a lifespan of rock stars. And we got to a website that showed the people who got the most attention. I'm sorry, lifespan of stars. That's what it said, or famous people. And you could scroll down the screen. It was like hundreds of names because it went all the way back to like the 50s when Hollywood was formed. And you see... It showed three things, the name, the age they died, 
and how they died. And these were the people that when they died, everyone said, but everybody loved them. When the, the difference, listen carefully, the difference between love and attention is one fills you up, even if you're far from it. For example, I didn't know this, by the way. This is something I learned in my own life, meaning I was on an attention thing for many years. 23 to be exact. Something happened to me when I was 33 years old and I woke up. But I was doing it for 33 years. I was a traveling rabbi, an attention vampire, traveling guitar playing rabbi. Now, does an attention vampire rabbi sound like someone who gives shurim or takes shurim? What do you say? Tell me, how much as a Talmud, if you're listening to the shir, as a Talmud, how much do you receive when the Rebbe is taking? You receive something. You get something. But not what you think you're getting because someone's in the process of taking. When I woke up when I was 33 years old and I realized what I really want is love, and that attention's killing me. And I used to come to Shabbatones just like this, and I remember being in my hotel room every night by myself. All the attention's gone. There's no more yeshakoyachs. There's no more thank you so much. There's no more applause. And a deep, dark hole in my heart that could only be assuaged with sleep. But those rock stars, they have other substances for that kind of pain. For them, it was just a matter of time till they made the wrong cocktail and they're gone. Another one bites the dust. Attention leaves us empty. Love makes us full. And over the last... However many years, I'm not good at math, but since I was 33, I would really like to know how long it's been. I'm just not good at math. I'm saying how I'm 47. Could someone help me with the math? 30, 33, 40. That shouldn't be too hard. 14. 14 years. For the last 14 years, when I'm laying down in my hotel room to go to sleep at night, my heart is swelling with love. Even though my family is 6,000 miles away in Eretz Yisrael, 3,000 miles away in California, I am full. And another amazing thing happened is that my career went, you know, it was definitely rising, but it went like that. Like on a chart, it looked like that. And then it suddenly went like that. Who can tell me what was different? I said the same words, the same shirim. Didn't change the shirim. What was the difference? Giving. That's it. I remember playing my first concert after that. I do big concerts in Eretzisrael. And it was a shame. Right now we're in Sphira because I would have played such a concert for you guys, Motsi Shabbos. 
My guitar is on its way because I do a deeper meditative type playing, but that'll be for the one in the morning taste of the possible you. Uh, Motsu Shabbos at one in the morning. I'll, I'll br- bring it out, but it's not going to be for music. Don't expect any music. It's going to be for, uh, you know, really experiencing something very beautiful and something very deep for whoever's awake at one in the morning. I, I never had a shear at one in the morning. You know, maybe that's not true. I actually have been... In Brooklyn, I've been asked to show up at one in the morning places. To give a shit. I want everyone also to know, Just I'm just making a public announcement. It's not for any covet or anything at all. But I want you to know I, I gave this entire Shabbaton. Besides them flying me in, just my ticket, every, all eight shirim that I'll be giving... And every interaction I'll be having is because I love people. Wow. I guess you really appreciated that. I guess things in America are a lot about money. <laughs> it's nice to hear someone did something for no money. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I don't think in my life I did a Shabbaton where I wasn't paid for the Shabbaton. But that's why I'm here. I'm here because I believe in it. I believe in you. I believe in Hashem, and I believe that's why I made this place. And I see it works, so it must be right. I'm going to finish with one last tool. I would like you all to leave with a tool today that will make a difference in your relationships to yourself, to your spouse, and to your children. And I'm also going to implore all of you that the teaching I just gave you about love versus attention, for many of you in this room, all you have to do is have heard that distinction between love and attention, That's all you have to do. This is not something you're going to have to work on. You're going to notice from this session on that you're able to start purifying what you're doing on the planet and start going for the real stuff and leave the false guilt behind. This isn't something you have to learn about. It's just a shift you have in your own heart. Now I'm going to teach you a tool. Uh, Let me just make sure this tool isn't already a title of a class. That would be bad. We're good. Okay, listen up. I'm going to share with you an amazing tool that will change your life and change the life of how you relate to others forever. And it is going to increase your experience of love (laughs) and his kashas forever. And this is another one. All you got to do is hear it. There are certain things you can get on the spot, by the way. I just want everyone to be clear with that. There's certain things you got to work on for years. It's a media you develop. 
And then there's other things you can get on the moment. There's a term for it in English, actually, if you want to learn a new word. It's called epiphany. You ever heard the term epiphany? Epiphany is when you just get the truth in that moment, and it hits you right between the eyes, and you just, you have it. And you can, like, because normally it takes time. You've got to integrate stuff. Most knowledge, most wisdom, you integrate it over life. You've got to have experience. You've got to not do so well with it until you get better at it and better until you got it. There's something called epiphany. Epiphany means truth in a moment. We just get it. It immediately integrates. So what I've done is I've collected some like, like 40 epiphanous experiences where you can get it on the spot. Thank you. Four epiphanous experiences. I'm going to share with you one of them right now. But there's many others. And another one is the love and attention. You just get it and it's just boom. Get it. Wow. I can actually now comb through my life and see what's attention, what's love, what do I want, what leaves me fulfilled, what leaves me empty. And boom, you're there. So the other one I'm going to share with you right now is the distinction between acceptance and approval. Now, the reason I went like that is because, do you see, because I, I don't have a whiteboard. If I had a whiteboard, I'd be drawing two circles, and I would have them intersect, meaning overlap a little bit. And the two words that I just said were acceptance and approval. Two separate terms, acceptance and approval, but unfortunately, acceptance and approval become blurred, and I start accepting those I approve of and approve of those I accept. And when I accept only those I approve of, my world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until I live in a tiny little box. Because how many people can you possibly totally approve of? If the, and if those are the only ones you're going to accept, get ready to live your life alone or with very few others. Raise your hand if you understood what I've said so far. That's a large number of people who understand what I'm talking about. I'm glad I'm talking into the pocket here. Sometimes you throw a pitch and it catcher misses it. Catcher caught it. Let's define our terms. Acceptance, because I don't have a whiteboard, guys, you understand why I keep doing this? There's going to be acceptance, there's going to be approval. Acceptance, let me define the word acceptance. Acceptance means that. If I, listen carefully, this is my own definition, it's from this possibly a seminar, that if I lived their life, I'd be doing the same thing. Okay, new definition of acceptance. If I lived their life, I'd be doing the same thing. Because every person's behavior is always the result of everything they've ever heard till then. And if I was the one doing everything, living that life till now, I'd be doing that. So if I walk out of my house on Shabbos, if I walk out of my house on Shabbos and I find the guy smoking a cigarette outside my house, 
Now, I don't approve of that. But what if I lived his life? What would I be doing right now? What would I be doing? I'd be smoking a cigarette on Shabbos. They live their life. I live my life. I'm the sum total of my story. He's the sum total of his story. The individual I can accept. The behavior I can't approve of. I had a relative marrying a Goya, a Goya in uh, California. Now, he knew that I did not approve. I called California, spoke to him, explained to him. I also let him know I will not be attending. He said, I was not expecting a Hasidic rabbi to be attending my intermarriage. But I flew out there the day before his wedding. I flew to California. It was the shortest visit I ever had in California because I had to give a couple shirim here in New York. So I flew from Aristotle to California, then I flew to New York. I was in California about four hours. Two hours, I took this guy out to lunch. Two hours, said hi to my parents, and I was off to New York. Took him out to lunch, and I said, I hope you can forgive me. Here you are on your special day, and I can't be there with you. You know, I'm not even going to say how I feel about it, because you already know. We've discussed it. But I flew her to California to let you know that I love you. And I also realize you're making your own decisions based on your own life. I happen to believe that if you came to Eretz Yisrael for even a couple weeks, you'd make a different decision. But I hope you'll forgive me for not being there on your special day. Now, the rest of his family, when he got engaged to her, they went against him. They made his life hell. And you know what happened? He stopped coming around. And the family said, we're losing him. We have to accept him. But what did they have acceptance, acceptance blurred with? Approval. So them saying they're accepting him also meant they're going to approve. And they all went to this wedding. And you know, when the marriage fell apart, and it was really on the rocks, as most are in those kinds of situations, Guess who he called for help? The one who he knows loves him and accepts him no matter what he does. Acceptance and approval are two very different things. 
A lot of people, for example, think they have to let go of their own integrity to make sure people know they accept them. For example, a businessman might go into a restaurant he does not belong in because he doesn't want the people he's doing business with to think that he doesn't approve of them or accept them. When in fact, when you get acceptance separated from approval, so now you can have real values of what's right and wrong while still being the most accepting person there is. You would think someone who looks like me shouldn't be successful in Kirov. I look too from. But at this point, I'm like, I'm one of the last people in the English-speaking Kirov movement that's still even making a difference. Birthright, you heard of Birthright? Birthright has, a, has signed with an institution in Yerushalayim that only, their groups are only allowed in that institution if I'm speaking. If I can't come or I'm out of the country, they're not coming. Me. Look at this face. How can you put a guy with tattoos and body piercings in shorts and a tank top with me? Give him someone who looks modern. Acceptance and approval. I represent things. I hold my ground. But I'm very, very accepting and loving of people. And I recognize that their story of their life is how they got to where they're at. And that's just okay. And that's fine. I still love you there. And from that place of love, he feels invited to grow and learn. Not everyone understands this. I remember when I was a young whippersnapper, I was newly married. I made a deal with a city that I'm going to leave nameless. I was going to go do outreach for a couple of years in America. And this particular city had a big cure of movement going on. And so they approached me to hire me. And we were literally signing the deal the next day. This is all with the Pince Carlina Rebbe involved in every step of the way. The Zatzal, the Byron Rosenfeld. And uh, I'm ju- they're, they're, they're faxing me the contract. And right before he gets my number to fax me the contract, he says, by the way, you will take your pay us off, right? <laughs> he thought that was like, of course. Okay. Can't expect to cure with pay us. This was 19 years ago. He comes up to me still once in a while. He's in Eretz Yisrael. This particular year, he'll come to Eretz Yisrael and come up to me and he says, like, what a mistake I made. Yeah, I was a young kid. I was in Kola. I was newly married. He didn't realize. He didn't understand the principle that it has nothing to do with how you look. It's all about acceptance. I get phone calls all the time from parents of kids at risk. They say, will you please meet my child? So I'd love to. Can we meet first? And they said, well, it's my child that I need you to speak to. I said, okay, uh, why don't we meet first? It's my child. Let's meet. My child. Let's meet. Many of the kids who came back to Yiddishkeit, I never, ever met the kid. All I did was coach the parents to retrace the steps of their communication 
to a communication of acceptance and love. There are still standards. Approval is approval. There are standards. There are standards of Shulchan Aruch. There are standards of Minhagim. There are standards of a family in their own style. You don't have to drop the standards, but you do have to clean up the language of acceptance. It's a language you use. It's a way you relate. Now, if you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, acceptance leads to love. I'll prove it to you right now. I'll tell you, anyone who you love I promise you, at one point or another, you felt accepted by them. Anyone you love. And I'll prove it the opposite way, too. Anyone you don't like very much, I know, of course, we all love our neighbor as ourselves, but let's be honest here. People you don't like, if you look back in the history of you not liking that person, you will see that at one point or another, you suspected that they do not accept you. The people you don't like is because you, they didn't accept you. And it may not be that they ever said, or any, said anything to you. It may be you've never even had an interaction. It could be just their style of dress or the way they look makes you feel unaccepted. I just took a group of uh, students from Asia Torah on the bus to Mehron. I made a horrible mistake, by the way. I didn't want them to walk all the way across town, so we took the buses of Shomri Munim in Meisharim. Bad idea. Bad idea. I go to pick up the boys to bring them to the bus. The, the, the boys are in tank tops. Tattoos. You seen the earlobes that some of these kids go with? These big earlobes? I don't know what that's for. It gets worse. You ready for this? There's a girl with them. <laughs> and somehow I'm supposed to explain how she's going to be sitting in the back. But the problem is she wasn't dressed appropriately for this whole drive. Now, had I seen her before, the problem is I met them at the bus. I was getting my stuff together, and then I met them at the bus, and they were already on the bus. And she was already getting yelled at by all the women on the bus. She's crying. I get to the bus, and she's crying and in her Polish accent, trying her best to communicate to me in English that this is the worst day of my life. And she's just trying to get to Rebbe Shimon. So I explained to all these women in the back of the bus who've now got her in clothes. They've clothed her. And it's boiling. And she's crying. And she's wearing other women's clothing now. <laughs> she's got a skirt over her jeans. I don't know where someone got a skirt for her. I explained to all these women that we this girl was found three days ago in Auschwitz. There was a group of Jews from a yeshiva that went to Poland. And when they got to Auschwitz, there was this girl there 
who tagged on to their tour just to get a free tour. She was a Polish girl, 21 years old, dating a 31-year-old goy who says he hates Jews, except for her. That's what he said. He hates Jews except for her. And the rabbi of the group said, I want you to come to Eretz Israel." And the next thing he knows, <laughs> this girl shows up on his doorstep. This guy's a mashkich of the yeshiva. Shows up on his doorstep with a bag. I hate to keep mentioning tattoos, but more tattoos. And shows up with her bag <laughs> and moves in. He had to move her in. She comes for three weeks with no money. We had to give her money for the bus. I tell this story to the women from Batungari. They were, they turned white. They couldn't believe it. They were coming to apologize to her. And she started coming up. She was coming up to me. They say I need to wear more. And I go back and I'm like, you're still hassling this poor girl. And they're like, no, we're trying to apologize. But what do we, how do we hear things, everybody? How we perceive our own world. She didn't realize that's what was happening. She didn't realize they had come to her now to be her friend. I once in a while go temporarily insane and I bring secular tourists on tours of Meisharim. I'll never bring a group more than like seven or eight, because they don't allow tours, but I'll bring seven or eight and I can, I can walk around there with them. And people understand more or less if I'm walking through that they're not supposed to throw eggs. So anyway, I always, I never say a word to the tour group for the first 300 yards. And so I got a group of men, you know, this guy's wearing an orange shirt with a camera on his belly. You know, a clean shaven guy, an older guy. And we're walking through and I keep looking back at my group and seeing how uncomfortable they are with everyone staring at them. And I stop after about 300 yards and I say to them, so how do you like it so far? And they always say, can you get me out of here now? And I'm like, what, we're just getting started. And they're like, it's enough already, let's leave. You know, I saw it. And then I say to them, you feeling judged? And they say, guess what? No one's judging you here. And they say, do you see the way these people are staring at us? No one's judging us? I feel like a goy. I said to him, you are the most interesting thing that has happened to anyone in this neighborhood in a year. Now walk another couple minutes. We walk another couple minutes. After a while, they are laughing because everyone who's staring at them is interested in them. They're just interested. Who are these men? But by the time we got a minute in, because now they're laughing, everyone's coming up to interview them in the best English they can muster. Where are you from? Me no speaking good English. And they want to talk to them. Next thing you know, we're eating Kugel Arab Shabbos in some Rebbitson's house, and they are having the time of their life. Because yeah, they are self-judging. You get that? Self-judging. <laughs> 
I'm just going to bring it down one more time just so everyone gets it real clear. There's acceptance, there's approval. Those who accept you, you love. Those who don't, you don't like those people. Now, the truth is they probably do accept you. It's just that you suspect they don't. You come up with reasons why you think they don't. You become the world's expert on why that person's no good. When if you look down into the beginning of it, it's because you felt they didn't accept you. Just like that, boom. Acceptance, approval. Approval, you have standards, hold your ground. You never give up your standards. Acceptance, if you lived their life, you'd be doing the same thing. You get acceptance and approval clear. You'll notice it will start affecting the way that you communicate with your children, with your friends, with strangers. And when people feel that inherent true acceptance in your heart, you will see that people will feel a magical connection to you and be much more interested in anything you might approve of or disapprove of. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.